Hello everyone, welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to this week's episode. If you are new, welcome. And if you are a returner, welcome back. Uh, This is our Bible episode for the week. We do Bible episodes on Thursdays at the moment. And then we do a regular topic about faith, politics, history, science, health, anything like that that I want to learn about on Mondays. But today we are finishing up the Gospels. We are going over the book of John And the book of John was so interesting. I have read all four Gospels back to back the last four weeks. And so I thought like, okay, this is going to sound very, very similar to all the other Gospels. And I'm just going to like breeze through it. And it's going to be very much the same. And I was wrong. It is very different. It's very detailed. It goes into a lot of facts and stories that have not really been like in depth uh, recounted before gives a lot more detail so I really enjoyed the book of John I think this is my favorite gospel by far so I'm excited for you to listen so let's get into the book of John Okay, so let's get into it. The one thing I'm going to say is that the regret I had about reading this book is that I did not read the intro first because I could have been on a, on the lookout for all these sections and cool things. And you'll know what I mean when I read this, but I'm just going to go and read this part of the intro. I'm reading from the NIV. I know sometimes that's controversial. People go back to the King James or something, but for right now I am an NIV person. So let's read this part of the intro because I feel like if I had read this before, I could have caught a lot of things in the reading. So if you go back and you are rereading John, here are the things to look for. So it says, John begins his book by echoing words from the Bible's creation story in the beginning, showing his readers that this is the story of a new creation. Just as the first creation was completed in seven days, John uses the number seven to structure his book. For the Jews, the number seven represented completeness and wholeness, a finished work of God revealing his purpose for the world. The story is told in two parts. The first describes Jesus' public ministry and has seven sections. Each section closes with a report on how people respond to Jesus, either in faith or unbelief. The second part is devoted to the Passover weekend, when Jesus gave his life for the world. John records seven instances in which he revealed his identity by using the phrase, I am, the name by which God has revealed, had revealed himself earlier. Similarly, John, John records seven miraculous signs that Jesus performed. John's narrative mentions twice that the resurrection of Jesus took place on the first day of the week. In this way, he confirms that the power of a new creation has broken into our world. Okay. So that is the intro again. All these sections, all these like I am's I could have been paying attention to, but sadly I did not read that at the time. Okay, so now we're into John 1. Um, and this section is called The Word Became Flesh. So it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, but that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was has not overcome it. So this is like 
very representative of this book. Sometimes it's more in like cryptic language like this in the beginning was a word like you really have to sit down and like dissect his sentence but like what does that even mean but it talks about how um there was a man sent from god whose name is john we've heard of john the baptist before in the other gospels and he came before jesus as a witness it says though the world was made uh through him the world did not recognize him those who believed became children of god now it's talking about jesus so the first whole chapter or that section, I was like, oh man, this is going to get good and where I'm going to have to like really dissect this because um, sometimes it does get confusing. Okay, so John the Baptist denies being the Messiah. He was going around <clears throat> and preaching for the repentance of sin, saying that he's making the way straight for someone who will follow him. He said that he is not a prophet and he is not the Messiah. He's just the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. He says that he baptizes with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, who the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So then John sees Jesus, um, like off in the distance, I think. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I came so that he may be revealed to Israel. So he says that, and then it gives a little flashback where before, um, but like before this moment, John had baptized Jesus and he saw the spirit come down on Jesus and then said, like, that's how he knew that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So John's disciples follow Jesus. Two of the, of, of John's disciples see Jesus and ask where he's staying. They see like what he's doing and they kind of end up following him <clears throat> and um let's see oh this is where he renames simon peter i cannot read my own notes he renames simon to peter and then andrew who followed jesus told his brother that they have found the messiah he's like get over here come with me the messiah is here then Jesus uh, tells Philip to follow him. Philip w uh, was from Bethsaida, and uh, he found Nathaniel and said that they have found the Messiah from Nazareth. And it's funny, I forget, like, because I'm not up on the history, that, like, Nazareth had the reputation of having nothing good coming from it. So Nathaniel's first gut reaction when they said, hey, we found the Messiah, he's from Nazareth. He said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Um, and then when Jesus is talking to Nathaniel, he says, hey, I saw you under this fig tree a while ago. Like, come follow me. And Nathaniel's like, you, like, because of this, I believe or whatever. And Jesus says, you know, you believe in me because you saw, because I saw you under this fig tree. You will see better things than that. <laughs> like, Nathaniel believes on so little and then Jesus is like, you're going to see a lot of great things. This is literally nothing. So, um, okay, John 2. Jesus changes water into wine. So we're right in the miracles here. So on the third day, I think the third day since this, like, calling of the disciples, there was a wedding at Cana. And Mary was at this banquet, this wedding as well as Jesus, and said, hey, calls Jesus over says hey they ran out of wine and Jesus said woman why do you involve me my hour has not yet come 
this part is confusing and I think I might just have a podcast topic about Jesus' miracles and Jesus' relationship to Mary. I don't understand why he says, <clears throat> my hour has not yet come, but then immediately performs a miracle. Um, so I'll be looking into that more, but that's what it says happened. So he told the servants to fill big jars of water and then draw some out and all of a sudden it was wine. So he changed water into wine. Then the king, to kind of just like, I guess, prove that the, that this was a miracle and that Jesus is who he says he is, like he wouldn't make terrible wine, obviously, that only makes sense, but I don't know if you would really think about that. And so it includes the part where the like head of the banquet, or I don't think it was a king, but like the head of the banquet says, you have saved the best until now. Usually people bring out the choice wine first. But this is like way better wine than what we had at first. So that was his first miracle is Jesus turning water into wine. Okay, then Jesus clears out the temple courts. We've heard about this, but we know that he had like a whip made out of cords and he drove everyone out and said, stop turning my father's house into a market. So all these people want to sign that he is actually the Messiah. And he said, okay, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Obviously there he's talking about his body not the physical temple and so no one really understood what he was talking about until he died and rose again three days later in john 3 jesus teaches nicodemus so nicodemus is like one of the head priests or something head teachers of the law and he teaches nicodemus about being born again and physically like he doesn't make sense nicodemus is very confused he's like how can i climb back into my mother's womb this is where the famous John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is in this chapter. He did not send his Son to condemn the world, but to save the world, and you must be born again in the Spirit. Now again, Nicodemus is has like this earthly mind that's so focused on the law that he doesn't really understand this. Um, he said, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. Now, again, I'm doing an episode, a podcast about heaven and hell, because if no one has ever gone into heaven, does this mean that it's because Jesus hasn't come yet? And so no one has like been allowed into heaven or whatever, or is it because we all kind of go to sleep and don't go to heaven or hell until the resurrection? So no one is in heaven ever. Um, I need to really figure out kind of what I believe about what happens when you die, I think. So everyone who does not hate, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly. What they have done has been done in the sight of God. And then again, Nicodemus doesn't really understand, even though he's a priest and Jesus is like, you're the teacher of Israel. You should understand this. John testifies again about Jesus. So um, a disciple and this other man are arguing and complaining that everyone, like that John's disciples and that so many people are going to Jesus and that John's followers are getting fewer and fewer. And John is seeing this and he says like, no, this is a very joyous time for me he must become greater i must become less because john gets it like john gets it this is the messiah people have to follow the messiah not john 
And so it's joyous for him when more people are starting to be saved and go to the Messiah. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Okay, John 4, Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. And he's going through Samaria. He sees a woman at the well. He stops and he's tired from the journey. And so he asks the woman for water. Now, usually Jews and Samaritans do not talk at all. So she's like taken aback. She's like, why? How could you ask me this basically? But through talking, you know, okay, to be completely transparent, this chapter has always kind of intimidated me because... He's talking to the Samaritan woman and he, he's like talking so figuratively that I was like, if I was her, I'd be so confused. I would not understand if this was not like literally written in the Bible. And I know that this is figuratively or written <coughs> figuratively. She said, um, like, if you knew who I am, you would ask for living water. You'll never get thirsty. She's like, I would love to get never, to never get thirsty. I'm like, just tell her that you're the Messiah. Eventually she she gets it, but it's intimidating to me, or it was, to read this and be like, why is Jesus talking so cryptically? You know, and later he says there's a time where he will just talk plainly about the Father, but I don't know. So he's very kind of talking in code, but Jesus knows her whole history, says, oh, go back and get your husband. She goes, um, I don't have husband or something and he goes you're right you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband so he basically calls out all of her sin like right away and this is what jesus said woman believe me a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem you samaritans worship what you do not know uh we worship what we do know for salvation is from the jews yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks god is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth so she says that she knows that the messiah is, is coming and then he finally says very plainly like that he is the desire is the messiah okay so the woman went back and told people like what had happened that they knew the whole history and asked like could this be the messiah she's starting to spread the word about jesus um then they asked jesus if he has eaten and he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish this work so they're all confused they're like who gave him food whatever uh, many samaritans believe so he stayed there for two days and a lot of people were saved and then jesus returns to cana which is where the wedding happened where he turned water into wine and this royal official is begging Jesus to come and heal his son. Please come heal your son. And Jesus just simply says, go, your son will live. Then when that guy returns home, I think it was like a, a pretty long journey. So he's like, and his son was fine, even though he was on the brink of death before. And he says, when did you start feeling better? And they said, oh, 1, 1 p.m. yesterday, I suddenly felt better. And they realized that that was the exact time that Jesus had said, go, your son will live. So they have seen this miracle. Okay. Jesus went to Jerusalem and went near this sheep gate, uh, pool 
So many disabled people would go and lay at, and there has was there, oh my gosh, I cannot talk. There was a man there who had been invalid for 38 years, which is a very long time. I can't even imagine 38 years of that. Um, and Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? And which I saw this whole great sermon about this. Do you want to get well? Like some people are just, it would have been easy after 38 years to be settled into this sickness or this disease or this condition. And so, and even the book says like he had been in that condition for so long. That's why Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? You have to continuously be saying like, yes, I want to get well and to accept Jesus's blessings, basically. So this one, this part was so sad. When he said, do you want to get well? The guy said, sir, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes at, down ahead of me. This guy has no one. He's been in this condition for almost 40 years. He has no one to help him. He's desperate. So yes, he wants to get well. But I just imagine him like disabled trying to get in the pool and every single time someone's like cutting him off, <clears throat> cutting him off or going ahead of him and I got so sad reading that it really like I imagined it and it was depressing but depressing no longer because Jesus says get up pick up your mat and walk so the Pharisees get him okay this part's terrible so he gets up picks up his mat it's a miracle he's been he hasn't been able to walk for 38 years, he suddenly all of a sudden can get up and walk. Jesus says, take up your mat and go. Immediately when he gets up and starts walk, walking away, the Pharisees get on him and say, why are you carrying your mat? It's the Sabbath. The law states you cannot carry your mat on the Sabbath. And he says, well, the man who healed me said that I can pick up my mat and walk. And <clears throat> like, what? This is why the, the the message of grace is so much more appealing than the message of the <clears throat> law and legalism and stuff because it's like, he just received the biggest miracle ever, but it happens to be on the Sabbath so he can't pick up his mat. You know, that's kind of ridiculous. So I got fired up reading this. Um, but then later Jesus runs into that man who is still healed, but he says, he tells the man to stop sinning or something worse will happen. So he says to like, let this change your life. Okay. Then this next section is called the authority of the sun. Um, and this is a rebuttal to the, the Pharisees trying to persecute him because he was healing on the Sabbath day. And he says, essentially the son can only do what I see the father do. My father is, working on this day it says very truly i tell you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life very truly i tell you a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of god and those who hear will live for as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son also to have life in himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out 
Those who have done what is good will rise to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, from, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but for him who sent me. Okay. So this goes back to the works versus faith thing, because Jesus says, like, whoever does good will be raised to life. Whoever does evil will be raised to condemn. But then later he also says that really it's just about believing in him. So I think there's this debate between Protestants and Catholics, obviously, about, like, Protestants think that Catholics are too works-based, and Catholics think that Protestants are too, like, well, you just need to believe, but your life doesn't have to change at all. I think this is part of the reason why I have a hard time, like, directly relating to eat to both, because, well, I think maybe I guess I'm, I'm more relate to the Catholics on this because I think there is such a tight coupling of your faith and your life changing. Like, I think before college I thought I had a lot of faith, but then like my works in college did not reflect that I was saved. So your faith is dead at that point, you know? Faith comes with like in a tight coupling with good works, I think. So, um, I don't know. We'll go into that a lot more in detail, I'm sure, in Faith Podcast. But, um, yeah, that was like a an alarm bell in my mind that was like, oh, it is about just believing in Jesus, but it's also your life should change because of this. Okay, testimony, <clears throat> testimonies about Jesus. So, they're talking about... Uh, he said, if I testify testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony is true about me. So he's talking about how John made the way straight for him. John um, went, <clears throat> went and has talked about how this is the Messiah. So <clears throat> he's not just saying that like he's a Messiah by himself. Um, John has also talked about him. Then he also talks about how Moses, back in the day... Uh, well, let me just read the verse. It's verse 45. It says, But do you not think I will accuse you before the Father? Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? I think a lot of times, I've talked about this before, but a lot of times we think that the Old Testament is really not as important as the New Testament, but Jesus is like, If you believe Moses, you will believe in me. They're all inexplicably, I mean, that was not the right word. They're all uh, tied together. Like you can't have the Old Testament without the New Testament. You can't have the New Testament without the Old because they all are just one big timeline of all these prophecies being fulfilled. Okay, John 6. These are kind of the ones that we have seen before. Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. He walks on water. Um, and this is where he actually, like, walks to the disciples' boat. And then <clears throat> he, talk <clears throat> he talks about how he is um, the bread of life. So all these people start following him after he feeds the 5,000. They're like, where were you? We were looking for you. And he basically says, like, you're looking for me because you got fed yesterday. But instead of your daily physical bread... Um, like I am the bread of life. So follow me in instead. 
Okay, many of the disciples desert Jesus because he said, like, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the God the Father has placed the seal of appro approval. Um, so Jesus is teaching very hard things about like how the way is through him and all of this. And he, some of the disciples get offended. He said, um, who can accept this teaching? Said the disciples. Jesus says, does this offend you? Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who has sent me draws them and I will raise them up in the last day. So he talks about like <clears throat> whoever eats my body, whoever drinks my blood, blah, blah, blah. They're like, how can we drink flesh and drink blood? This doesn't make any sense. A lot of people have no idea what he's saying. The thing that really stuck out to me is that he said no one can get to the father unless he draws them. So is that like predestination? You know, like no one can come to the father unless or to the son unless the father has enabled them. So it seems like there might be some predestination talk here and I need to just dive into that as a full topic because that I've tried to look that up before it gets so complex talking about predestination. But okay, John 7 talks about the festival of the tabernacles. He didn't want to go into Judea because the teachers were looking to kill him already. So, um Jesus' brothers say, okay, let's leave Galilee, go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Essentially, like, you need to go public. No public figure hides. So Jesus said, I'm not going to the festival. My time is near. Some translations, this is very important, say he is not yet to go into the festival. His time is not yet here. <clears throat> but I was like, did he lie? Because he says he's not going to the festival. Then he goes. <clears throat> and so I looked up this this was a good article that was kind of explaining um, the fact that really he did not lie. It says, the key phrase is to notice in this passage is not yet. Jesus says his time has not yet come, and he does so twice in this short exchange. It's also useful to point out that some older manuscripts include a yet in the portion where he says, I am not going, um, like the King James and ISV. Even if the original manuscripts do not contain a yet in that portion, the context indicates the same in implication. To his brothers, on the other hand, Jesus said, your time is always here. What we see from this is that Jesus was not lying, but rather saying that he is not going at the same time his brothers thought he should be going, and he was not going with them. Not yet does not mean not at all. In this, we can also see that Jesus was speaking metaphorically in saying that his time had not yet come. <clears throat> because he knew that he would ultimately be sacrificed, but it was not yet the time for that to take place. To the skeptic's claim, we can also point out that Jesus did publicly teach during the middle of the feast. His brothers, who at the time did not believe he was the Messiah and had previously attempted to stop his ministry thinking he was crazy, which we saw in Mark 3, could certainly have called him right there, uh, called him out right there as a liar, but they did not do so. It's also helpful to look at the other writings of John. He emphasized truth and Jesus' teaching about truth. It is highly unlikely John would have failed to notice if, Je if Jesus had blatantly lied. Had Jesus lied, he would not be without sin and could neither be God nor our Savior. Jesus was sinless. He is also 
he is who he claimed to be and he is our only savior so okay that is convincing to me to say like listen john wrote this in groups of seven he was very attentive as an author he tried to wrap it up as a full like complete story and history of the salvation of the jews or all of salvation of everyone but salvation coming from the jews he would not have just put in a blatant lie of jesus so yes i think the context says like he's just saying that he's not going when his brothers want him to go okay jesus teaches at the festival um <clears throat> let's see oh gotta get my notes here okay jesus teaches at the festival so halfway through the festival he went up to teach he says my teaching is not my own it comes from the one who sent me anyone who chooses to do the will of god and will find out whether my teaching comes from god or whether i speak on my own People were calling him demon-possessed, and he said, I did one miracle and you were all amazed, yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but through the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, <clears throat> why are you angry for me when, for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. He was basically like, do better. So then there's a bunch of division over who Jesus is. Some think that, some think that he is the Messiah. Some think he's demon-possessed. Um, and so this is where it says, up to this point, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. We will talk about his glorification later. But um, some people wanted to like seize him, but no one ended up actually like arresting him. Then he talks about unbelief of the Jewish leaders. He said, finally, uh, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked, why didn't you bring him in? And they said, no one ever has spoken the way that this man does. And so the Pharisees are like, oh, wow, he's gotten you too. He's deceived you also. You think that he is the Messiah. Um, and then Nicodemus, who he had taught earlier, went back and says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him? To find out what he's doing so he's saying like give him a chance okay john 8 there's a little intro type section that doesn't have like a section header about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and they say oh should we stone this woman and then jesus looks around and said to those who like to the person who is without sin can cast the first stone Okay, then there's dispute over Jesus' testimony. He says, I'm the light of the world. And people say, like, hey, you can't appear as your own witness. And he says, and he's already talked about how there's other people witnessing that he is the Messiah. But he says, basically, like, his ways are so much more above our our ways. Um, they're judging by human standards. But, you know, if you knew me, you would know my father. There's more dispute over who Jesus is because he says, where I'm going, you cannot come for a time. They're thinking that he might kill himself. And many believed him, but many also did not. Um, okay, then there's a dispute over whose children Jesus' opponents are. So Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll be set free. They say, we have never been slaves because we're like sons of Abraham or whatever. We have never been slaves. How can we be set free? And so he introduces the concept of you being a slave to sin. Uh, then Jesus talks about himself saying that he is not uh, demon-possessed. He's not seeking glory for himself. 
he is, um, well, okay, so he says, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And they say, now we know you're demon-possessed. <clears throat> Abraham died so that the prophets, Abraham died and so do the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? They don't understand this whole like resurrection thing. They don't understand a lot. So they're, he's saying all these things that are perceived as blasphemy to them. And so they're picking up stones to try to stone him. But Jesus slips away from the temple grounds. Okay, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And they ask who sinned, him or his parents? And um, Jesus says, you know, neither this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. So I grew up thinking, really, the Bible said you could never be sick. Like, it's never God's will for you to be sick. And I don't know. When I'm reading this, it's like, uh, this wasn't caused because of a sin. This wasn't caused of anything. Uh, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So God knew that he was sick and let that happen until a specific time when the work of God could be displayed. So I don't know if you're never supposed to be sick. I just know that healing <clears throat> is definitely possible. <clears throat> oh, I don't know. There's like a frog in my throat or something. Okay. The Pharisees investigate the healing. So they brought the Pharisee, uh, the man. Oh, I skipped part okay um jesus heals the blind man <laughs> i just talked about the blind man but never talked about how he actually healed him so jesus put mud on his eyes and then washed washed them and he saw so the, the pharisees investigate the healing they're like i don't think you were even really blind you know maybe you you're just faking it and then his parents were like no he was blind but they got scared of the jewish leaders so they're like listen he's of age ask him we don't really want to be involved and he says, listen, I don't know if this guy's the Messiah. I don't know if he's sinless, but I do know that I was blind and now I see. Um, then Jesus goes to the man who was healed again and reveals to him that he indeed is the Messiah and he believes. But then he goes on this whole thing about how the Pharisees are not blind physically, but they are spiritually blind. They don't understand any of these teachings. In John 10, Jesus talks about how he's a good shepherd and will take care of his sheep. He has this whole parable about uh, sheep in a field with a gate and that he is the gate. He's a good shepherd. He's laying down his life for the sheep and that only people can, like people have to go through this gate to get to the father and the gate is Jesus. Then there's more conflict over Jesus' claims. It says, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. He said, I have been, I did, you did not believe me. Again, they pick up stones to try to stone him. That's like their go-to move if they hear anything they don't like. Um, and they say, for which of my good works are you going to stone me? And they say, for none of your good works, we're going to actually stone you for blasphemy. And he said... Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the world, the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. 
But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him and he escaped their grasp. He's trying to make it very easy for them. He's like, even if you don't believe what I say, look at what I'm doing and realize that I am God's son. Like It's not that hard. Okay, then there's the whole story in John 11 about the death of Lazarus. So Lazarus is sick, who is Mary's... Well, okay, back in other Gospels, which it has not been mentioned here yet, but back in other Gospels, Mary and Martha are sisters, and Jesus is near them, and they believe that he is the Messiah. So Mary anoints him with all the expensive perfume, and the disciples are, like, upset by that. Whatever. So this Lazarus is Mary's brother, and he's very sick. Jesus isn't there yet, and Lazarus dies. Now he's dead for four days, and then Jesus shows up, and they say, like, if only you had been here four days ago, like, they wouldn't have, he wouldn't have died. But Jesus comforts the this, you know, sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha believes that he's the Messiah. He said, I know like at least he will be raised again in the last day on the resurrection. Then Mary comes out crying and Jesus wept when he saw Lazarus or when he, yeah, over the death of Lazarus, Jesus wept. And then Jesus says, hey, roll back this stone of the tomb. And they say, it's been four days. He's like decaying. There's going to be a very bad stench. And he says, hey, just do it. They roll back the stone. He says, Lazarus, come out of there. And Lazarus walks out alive with hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen. Okay, then there's a plot to kill Jesus. So it says many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen Jesus, what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. They're saying like, um, okay, this is an interesting part because this is all a political game. John makes it more clear that this is all about politics or a lot of it is because about politics because before I would I would wonder like he's doing all these things he's like helping all these people in the community why do they care that much why are they trying to kill him so badly or so quickly um it says uh what are we accomplishing they asked here's this man performing many signs if we let him go on like this everyone will believe in him and then the romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation it is better for one man to die than for a whole nation to perish. So they're saying, like, if everyone believes in Jesus, there's no there's no reason for us to have a temple. The Romans will take our entire nation away. So they're killing him to keep their nation. Um, then one of the high priests that year was like, yeah, let's go kill him there he's the one that's convincing everyone that it's better for one man to die than for the whole nation to die and just conveniently he's the same guy that prophesied that jesus would die that year so he really wants to make this happen so then so many people were trying to kill him that he didn't really move publicly about much anymore okay jesus is anointed at bethany so this is where mary pours the perfume on his feet and then wipes like uh, washes his feet with her hair. Uh, then we have the Palm Sunday thing where he goes and gets the colt and rides into Jerusalem on the uh, donkey with the, you know, we've seen this in all four Gospels. Okay, Jesus starts predicting his death 
And then again, more people are confused about who he is. Many believe, many do not believe. John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet and the devil starts prompting Judas to betray Jesus. He washes the disciples' feet and then he said, like, one of the disciples says, hey, well, if you're washing my feet, like, and you're the Messiah, wash my whole body. Like, you know, why just the feet? Um, and he says, no, you've taken a bath, basically. You are clean, except for your feet, you know? And he says, but not all of you are clean. And he knows that Judas is going to betray him. So he says, hey, when I'm gone, wash each other's feet. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So he's humbling himself. He's saying, like, I'm only the son. I'm not greater than my father. And, and um, like, I'm just a, a servant of, of my father. Okay, then Jesus predicts his betrayal in this account. It's very, very clear that it's Judas. In some, it's like a little bit vague. But this one, he says, uh, it is the one who I will give this bread to. And then he directly hands the bread to Judas. Like, he's not keeping a secret who is going to betray him. And he says, do what you were, <clears throat> do what you were about to do quickly. So Judas is a, like the treasurer of the disciples group. So he has all the money. So the people don't understand, like the rest of the disciples don't really understand. They think like, oh, maybe Jesus told him to give to the poor, give this money somewhere. Like maybe he has something to do involving the money. They were not really sure. But of course, Judas knows that he's going to betray Jesus. And so immediately as he got the bread, he left. Then Jesus predicts Peter's denial that he is going to deny him three times before the rooster crows. John 14, Jesus comforts his disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. So he talks about how he's preparing a place for them. Uh, talks about how he is the only way to the father. No one gets to the father except through Jesus. Um, and then one of the disciples says to show them the father and Jesus is like are you kidding me you've been around me so long you don't understand that like you can't see the father I am just the messenger like some of the disciples still their faith is definitely not perfect okay Jesus promises the Holy Spirit and describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth that will remind us of what Jesus said and the teachings that Jesus has kind of passed on um, once he is not there anymore and then he says, you know, peace, I leave you, my peace, I give to you. So he's kind of trying to calm the disciples and really like prepare them for his death. So they're not as shocked, but sometimes they just like still don't fully understand. Then he talks about how in John 15 that he is the vine and the branches he said I am the true vine my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will, it will be more even more fruitful um talking about the father's great love for them as the father has loved me so I have loved you remain in my love if you keep my commands you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and I remain in his love so this is a very good one-on-one -on -one teaching moment with Jesus and the disciples 
He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. So there, he's saying, like, don't get discouraged when they hate you. And then he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Uh, John 16, again, he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They do not know the Father. It said, but truly I, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he's going to send the Holy Spirit to help. He says, like, in a, in a little while, the world is going to rejoice while you grieve. So he's talking about when Jesus dies. The disciples are going to grieve, but the world will rejoice. But then uh, your grief will turn to mourning. And this is where he says, now I'm speaking figuratively, but there will be a time when I talk plainly about my father. So after all this, the, the disciples really believe. And he says, I have told you these things so that in, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I love this section of the Bible. It's like, stay in my love, follow my commandments. I have come that you may have peace. Like this is the more comforting part of the Bible. Okay, then John 17 is a big long prayer. So he prays first that he will be glorified. He prays for his disciples. Um, says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world anymore than I am, than I am of the world. Uh, he prays for protection over them and sanctification for them. Then he prays for all believers um, that says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Okay, so he's praying for the salvation of people who believe. Okay, then John 18 through 21 is really like what we've kind of seen in other gospels where he's arrested, Simon cuts off the ear of the priest, Peter denies Jesus three times, and then the high priest questions Jesus saying like, you know, who are you? <laughs> um, Jesus says, I've spoken openly. I've had nothing in secret. Why are you questioning me right now? And then Jesus is questioned before Pilate and he finds no charge. Um, there's nothing to arrest Jesus on, but the crowd wants to release Barabbas, who is a murderer, and they want to crucify Jesus instead. So even though Pont uh, Pilate does not agree, he says like, this is what we have to do. This is what the crowd wants. So <clears throat> Jesus is sentenced <clears throat> to be crucified. Jesus is flogged. He has like a crown of thorns. He's mocked. He's slapped. Um, the crowd again wants to crucify him. So he is put on a cross and it, this talks about how Pilate was actually the one that wrote King of the Jews on the sign above Jesus's head, which, so I thought it was a Jewish thing, like a thing that the people were, who were crucifying him 
wrote like they were mocking him saying king of the jews but Pilate um wrote it and said king of the jews because that was like his only charge the jews did not want that to actually be written they protested and it said you know this is a this is who he says he is and this is the only reason why you're crucifying him so i'm writing writing king of the jews and he says i've written what i've written it's gonna say that um jesus as he was like walking up to get crucified saw his mom and the disciple whom he loved which i think i think i remember reading that that is john like john's writing in in uh first third person and he refers to himself as the one whom jesus loved so whatever uh take that as you will i think that's right that he's talking about himself there but so jesus walked past mary and the disciple whom he loved and said here is your son woman like woman here is your son and disciple whom i love here's your mother so basically setting up the disciple to take care of mary once jesus is gone so then he received the drink of like vinegar on the sponge and said it is finished and it was the sabbath okay this is the important part i've been waiting for this part to come up in a gospel i forgot that it was in john it says now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. So this was customary to have the legs broken so that your weight would hang more down and you would die quicker. Uh, people would die quicker by having their legs broken. So they said, like, let's wrap this up. Let's just break their legs, kill them quicker, and then take them down before the Sabbath. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they found, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and this testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And then the scripture that's being fulfilled is, not one of his bones will be broken and as another scripture says they will look on the one they have pierced so this is again fulfilling all the scriptures then joseph was a secret disciple of jesus because he was like afraid of the leaders and nicodemus came and brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes so he brought a ton to like prepare him for burial and lay him in the tomb uh, Mary Magdalene in John 20 saw the empty tomb. Uh, Jesus appears to Mary Mag Magdalene outside the tomb. And then Jesus appears to his disciples and shows the hands, and, like the hand markings, like the holes in his hands and then like the hole in his side. Thomas is like, okay, I'm not going to believe. Thomas wasn't there when he showed the rest of the disciples the hands. So Thomas was told about this and said i'm not going to believe this until i see with my own eyes the nail marks in his side so jesus eventually appears to him shows him like yes it's me i have these hand marks and this hole in my side and um jesus said like you believe because you saw blessed are those who believe and they were not able to see this and then John talks about the purpose of his gospel. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But, though, 
But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So I talk about this, I don't know, this Bible verse just hit me because I was like, yes, we always think about, or a lot of people, I think, think about Christianity as like, I'm going to go to heaven. That's like the purpose of this. Yes, I will have eternal life because of Jesus. That's great. But this, I don't know why, because it doesn't say it exactly, like explicitly, but this just reminded me, like, Jesus and his teachings are not just for eternity, they're for our practical, everyday life. Like, stay in my commandments, follow my commands, and you will stay in my Father's love. You will, things will be better here on earth. You will be walking in love the whole time. You will be um, blessing other people. So, like, Jesus um words are not just for eternity after we die it's also for here and i think that is something to keep in mind all the time okay then jesus on the third time that he uh, appears to his disciples he goes out they see him like way off from the shore and so can't really recognize that it's jesus yet um they said hey uh have you caught any fish they had caught nothing he says throw the net on the other side and all of a sudden there were so many fish that they couldn't even haul in the nets and they were like oh that was a miracle that's god <laughs> that's the lord so jesus called them all in to the shore made them breakfast and that was the third time that he appeared to them uh and then jesus reinstates peter he asks him if he loves him three times he said yes i do lord you know i love you he says okay feed my sheep then the next time he asks, he says, take care of my sheep. Then the next time he asks, he says, feed my sheep. Then he alludes to the death that Peter would have to glorify God. He's basically going to say, like, this is not going to be fun for you, but you are going to have this kind of gruesome death, but it will glorify God. Um, And then, okay, there was like this miscommunication where they thought that Jesus said that the one who just... The disciple who Jesus loved would not die. It says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back. Okay, whatever. Um, I'm just going to skip that part. So when it's about, well, no, I'm not going to skip it. Okay. Jesus, sorry, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. In parentheses, it says, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I wanted him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is where it says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and wrote them down. So he's saying that he is the disciple whom Jesus loves the whole time, which I guess is a good testimony about, like, how loved he feel, felt around Jesus and how, you know, he is walking in, in Jesus' love. But it's kind of funny that he, every single time he refers to himself, he talk, says the one whom Jesus loved. It said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that he had, that would be written. So that is the book of John. That is such a good book. There are so many parts in that, that I was just like, 
I wish I wasn't trying to read this in one week because I really want to slow down and like dissect some of these. So I think next year I might read through the New Testament just like slowly and just tr start kicking that off. It doesn't have to be done in a year just because I like some of these chapters that are like so in depth that I really want to get into more. But that is the summary of John. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I love this book. So um, next week we're going to be going through the book of Acts, which is when Jesus goes up into heaven and then the disciples have to go and carry on his message to the world. So be looking for that. And thank you all for listening so much. We are coming back on Monday with our regular topic. And the topic this week is going to be what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. I'm kind of on this kick about like trying to understand what other uh, branches of Christianity or like other faiths believe and what their customs are and things like that. So last week was about the Amish and Mennonites. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen. And this week upcoming is going to be Jehovah's Witnesses. So I will see you on Monday. I hope you all have a great weekend and thank you all for listening. See ya. <laughs>